When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Purdy sprints out of the pocket, sets, steps up, in trouble. And knocked down, ball loose, ball picked up. Jalen Ramsey, don't beat the air, beat the air. Touchdown, Oklahoma, 42 yards. Oklahoma gets a very necessary win over Iowa State in Norman on Saturday. The Sooners still in the hunt for the Big 12 championship and still in the driver's seat for the Big 12 championship. As, uh, as unbelievable as that may be after a, last week's loss in Waco, Oklahoma still very much controls its own destiny, but they have to win Bedlam because I don't see Baylor losing next weekend. And it's just simple math. You win and you're in lose with a Baylor win and it's going to be Cowboys and Bears instead of Cowboys and Sooners doesn't matter what happens in Bedlam with OSU Oklahoma State is in the Big 12 championship regardless what's up everybody this is the Sooner Nation podcast he's rich I'm Matt Uh, let's talk and get caught up I'll start out on the uh, on the hardwood Uh, the Sooners uh, out in Arkansas Arkansas because Conway uh, the Sooners out in Conway South Carolina for the um, for the Myrtle Beach Invitational, Oklahoma wins two games. Finally, drops uh, the Sunday finale championship round to Utah State by a final score of seventy-three to seventy. And Rich, we just did a real quick recap at Heartland Sports, but this is just uh, to me, it's just as simple as Oklahoma didn't close this out. They they they. This is the first time that they've not been able to close out a game. Um, they've had close games before the, the season opener was a little bit close and then they've just been able to run away with opponents in the second half until today. And Utah state was able to hang around long enough to, to finally make that run. Elijah Harkless with a three point shot uh, at five Oh seven remaining in the game. And then from there, the Aggies outscored the Sooners 15 to six to take this by a final of 73 to 70. I, I think in the grand scheme of things, there's, there's enough in this to, walk away feeling positive about Porter Mosier and the, and the direction of this program. But I, I think every step along the way, we've, we've said that there's a lot of work to be done, a lot of work to be done with this team before big 12 conference play and good and bad that all showed up this last weekend in South Carolina. This is true. Um, and one of the biggest obstacles that we said just a couple of episodes ago that's facing Porter Mosier is getting all of these players in the locker room on the same page. And we talked about how tall of a task that would be because a lot of these players are first-year players for Porter Mosier, let alone first-year players at the University of Oklahoma. Yes, there are a couple of holdouts from the Lon Kruger era, but still getting this locker room on the same page is the the tallest task that's set before Porter Mosier. And he knew that playing on the road, playing away from home would be that opportunity for this group to bond. I I definitely think you're seeing some of that. It's not in full effect 
just yet. I mean, I think that's a very hard thing to do in such a short period of time. Granted, they've only played three games away from Lloyd Noble at this point of the season. That number will... (laughs) just by virtue of the game, increase substantially as we head into conference play now. But I've got a couple of quick thoughts when it comes to this Oklahoma, this Oklahoma basketball team, specifically when it came to this game against Utah State. And that was just poor shot selection mm-hmm. towards the end of the game. I, I don't dislike a player like a Jalen Hill, but I know that his strength is not shooting from behind the arc. Is he going to put up those kinds of shots? Yes, but if I had to flip a coin between him and Mo Gibson, I'm hoping that goes in Mo Gibson's direction every single time that that opportunity is given. Jalen Hill's just not the guy I'm giving the green light for that, especially when Utah State comes down, Miller hits that big three-pointer for them, it puts them up, and Oklahoma tries to answer with their own, own very, very early on into that shot clock. First thought, the second thought for me is, man, don't count this team out just yet. Um, It's just one game. And I think it's very easy to overlook a team like Utah State and forget that this was a 20-win program last year. They were 20-9, and made the NCAA tournament, found themselves being paired off against a six-seeded Texas Tech team, which was a very difficult draw for them. A game they ended up losing, but still, this is a good Utah State team that has experience, that has this depth, and has team chemistry. Oklahoma is trying to build towards that, and seeing that they could be competitive on this type of a court, away from home, playing at a neutral site. Like I said, don't give up on this team just yet, because they've suffered a single setback. And then the third thought that I have on this this game Matt is what is it about these local kids putting up almost career type numbers against Oklahoma every time it doesn't matter if it's the gridiron it doesn't matter if the heart if it's the hardwood these are homegrown kids when they play the big university down the street from where they grew up they seem to put up these gaudy numbers Charlie Kolar and now uh Bean yeah, and, and 24 points and 19 rebounds against Oklahoma, and you could tell there's definitely some sort of, I wouldn't say vendetta, but just a playing, playing the hometown team. You know, he grew up, you can't grow up in more Oklahoma and not know about Oklahoma hoops and not have, uh, you know, if you're, if you're a player on that level, you've been to camps, you've been to games. I don't know what his recruitment was like, but I mean, give the kid credit um, for going and, and doing what he did and and really leading leading his team to probably one of the, for him, the most satisfying wins of his career. Um, real fast, switch over to, to recruiting. And a developing story here is three days ago, um, a guy that we thought was a shoe-in for Oklahoma's 2022 class and defensive lineman Chris McClellan from, uh, Chris McClellan from the Tulsa area. Just kind of thought this kid, uh, Owasso, to be more specific, I think Tulsa and Owasso kids don't really appreciate that. So let's let's call a spade a spade and say it's Owasso. But he's just started blowing up with crystal ball predictions for the Florida Gators uh, three days ago, going in going into the weekend. Uh, and then Florida goes out and loses to Missouri on Saturday. On Sunday, the Gators fired Dan Mullen as their head coach. And so now, I mean, this is definitely something that, that you're going to, you're going to want to keep an eye on Does he, does he stay kind of leaning towards Florida now uh, with a, with a national coaching search that's about to take place or does that maybe swoo him back over towards Oklahoma? But definitely number one, Rich, I was a little bit surprised that he did kind of lean towards Florida 
but now I'm I'm even more curious uh, with with Dan Mullen being shown the door. I'm even more curious what that's going to look like now with his recruiting. I, I'm a little bit surprised by what's happening at Florida as a team that was highly rated, a team that was competitive against Alabama, and their season went downhill really quickly for them after that Alabama game. Um, when I look at the name McClellan, Matt, it just brings up bad memories. Oklahoma misses out on Jace McClellan, who oh, flips yeah. late in the recruiting cycle to Alabama as a running back. <laughs> Granted, there's no relation between these two, or at least I don't think there's any relation between these two. Now you have Chris McClellan out of the Tulsa area in Owasso, playing for the Owasso Rams, who's seemingly eyeing the SEC himself. It's it, it just brings up bad memories as if I have a bad taste in my mouth because of that name. Right or wrong, I, I still hope being an in-state recruit that Oklahoma does get a talent like Chris McClellan. Um, we talked about the depth that he can add, pushing for immediate playing time. He's that caliber of a talent. And when you miss out, consistently miss out on players like that, I, I'm not saying that something's going severely wrong in terms of recruiting, but it does leave me scratching my head. Yeah, um, and I don't think you're, I mean, look, I don't think there's anything wrong with this. I mean, Florida was all, we had talked about Florida being kind of a player in his recruitment as it was. Um, and so I don't, I don't, I don't think this is an indicator that something's wrong at Oklahoma as much as it's an indicator that Florida just really did a good job at making inroads with him. But now again, with the firing of Dan Mullen, what is that going to do to this kid that, I mean, he definitely didn't shut the door on Oklahoma and we've got just a few weeks before the early signing period. And, and this is a kid, honestly, Rich, this may go until the later signing period. We, we may not know on him until February because he may want to sit out and wait and see what Florida does. It's just, it adds another interesting chapter to the story of his recruitment. All right, Sooners and Cyclones, we're going to get all up into that with the rest of this uh, podcast time. And uh, we got uh, we got thoughts on that, good and bad. Oklahoma's 28-21 uh, win over Iowa State on Saturday. And we're going to jump right into that after this. First things first, Rich, the Sooners did win on Saturday, 28-21 on the Cyclones. It gives Oklahoma a... 10-win season yet again, and Lincoln Riley ties Bob Stoops uh, with uh, the first coach, uh, the, the quickest rise to 55 wins. If he wins Bedlam, uh, Lincoln Riley is going to stand on his own. The defense set several records in this game as well, and we're going we're gonna to break down both sides of the ball here. Um, but um, first, I mean, first things first, I mean, what, when you look at is this an impressive win? I had a conversation with somebody yesterday. We're just talking about still talking about the resume and, you know, and you and I talked about that uh, preview in this game on Thursday is what's the resume for? I mean, who are you giving this resume to? Because I still don't think Oklahoma's in the college football playoff. And when you look at, when it's you not look yet. at, well, not yet, I just, <laughs> at I least just don't, not yet. I don't, Chaos is starting to ensue. I mean, Michigan State is definitely out now. But I just, Rich, I don't see it happening. And, and I know people nationally are saying, well, Oklahoma, they, they could be. They, they win Bedlam, win the Big 12 championship, and you can play right back into this thing. And I think theoretically that is correct, but it's never been done. I mean, no team has ever come from 13 back into the top four in, in a span of, of, of two and a half weeks, really. And I just, to me, 
there, there's a lot of, and I know we're going to get more specific, but there's a lot of struggles here offensively. The defense is coming back around, and I'll tell you, I have more confidence uh, in Bedlam now than I did going in to the stadium on Saturday morning. But still, when you look at the struggles with this offense, particularly at the quarterback position, I just I don't see this as a top four team. I really don't. Was it impressive? Let, let's start. Was it an impressive win? It was a good win over a five-loss team. Uh, how impressive can that be? I mean, uh, Iowa State, yeah, preseason top ten. It was supposed to be the Sooners and Cyclones in the Big 12 championship here in, in two weeks, but it's not. Iowa State's definitely not a top 10, much less a top 25 team. And and I don't, I mean, Oklahoma, they got to walk the line just to get to Arlington. You tell me, is that impressive? When I look at Iowa State, Matt, it is hard to ignore the fact that I still believe they are a good football team with NFL type talent sitting on that roster. When we look at what Iowa State has done this season, I would absolutely say that they have underwhelmed. They have not performed up to the level of hype that was placed upon them at the beginning of the season. But when we look at this game specifically, and we look at this past Saturday, as Iowa State came to Norman to face the Oklahoma Sooners, if it was going to be a close game, I felt as though that should, by its very nature, favor the home team. Why? Iowa State has lost several games by less than a touchdown. And when I say several, I want to say that that number's at four at the moment. They've lost four games, and I'd have to go back and check that. I know that it's at least three, but I believe they've lost four games by less than a single touchdown this season. Oklahoma, on the other hand, has been the benefactor of some close games and has pulled those out. So Iowa State finding themselves with an opportunity for a a game tying and potentially if they went for two and converted that a game winning drive told me that Iowa state really wasn't in this game, that they weren't really going to win it because they haven't proven that they can get over that hurdle throughout the, the, the front half. And even now into the second half, they haven't proven that they can get over the hurdle of competing and winning close games. Well, and, and, you can and look, this is a good comparison because Oklahoma has set a record for one score wins. And you can parallel the exact two of those. What you're saying is there's one team who just can't get over the hump in close games, and there's one team who has found a way to get over the hump in close games. And I and I don't want to sound like because I have been. I've been down in Oklahoma since the way since Waco. But this is a good football team. It's a 10 and 1 football team. They could be 12 and 1 at the after after the after the end of the season, or they could be 10 and two. You, you never know. But the reality is this is a good Oklahoma football team. And one of the reasons why is because they have found a way to do what you're talking about. Iowa state not being able to do is get over that hump. Matt, I've got to ask the question because you've now brought up 10 wins twice in this episode, and we're still in the opening portion of it <laughs> is 10 wins enough as a fan of the program. As someone who's even an insider, as a coach, as a player, is 10 wins enough? Because we know that the challenge next week is going to be completely different than anything Oklahoma's faced yeah. all season. And, and we'll get into that on Thursday. I'm not going to break down the game here for you now. But looking at Oklahoma State, they do have the higher ranking. I believe this is the first game that Oklahoma will come into and will not be the, the favorite. Um, I do expect that spread to be close, but I do expect Oklahoma State to take the edge specifically for the reason of Oklahoma's offense these past two weeks. 
Needless to say, I, I go back to, and digress to my original question here. Is 10 wins enough? Well, 10 wins is a benchmark. Is it enough? If you're Oklahoma, no, it's not enough. Particularly with a team that was, I mean, they were, they were hands down, not just by us, but by everybody. They were hands down predicted to be uh, not just a player in the college football playoff, but they were predicted to be a and they were, they were supposed to win a semifinal round and get to the championship. And so when you're talking about 10 wins, that's a benchmark. You, you don't want to go below 10 wins. But if you're Oklahoma, I mean, this, let's, let's fire a shot, okay? If you're Oklahoma State, you're ecstatic about 10 wins. If you're Oklahoma, 10 wins is the bottom. You, you, that's, Lincoln Riley has plateaued right there. He's hit the bottom benchmark. Now he's got to go back up. He's got to win Bedlam. He's got to win the Big 12 championship. And even if they miss the college football playoff, which they're likely to, win a bowl game, and then you call it a successful season. You absolutely don't stop at 10 wins if you're the this program. And by the way, you're right. Early line is Oklahoma State's a three-and-a-half-point favorite over Oklahoma in Stillwater. So let's look at um, – Let's look at let's do something that we've not done. I mean, we're still just some general thoughts. Let, let's step out of the OU Iowa State and let's just talk about what's going to happen Tuesday night with the college football playoff. I, I think Oklahoma moves back around nine or ten in that ranking. I don't think that they like, they shoot up the ranking at all, but I think they move around nine or ten. Here, here's what, what I think your top four are going to be. I think it's going to be very similar. Well, I think it's going to be well, well, identical. Can we start from the bottom? You give me four. Yeah, yeah. Because we, we know who's going to be number one. Like yeah. That's not very controversial at all. Notre and Dame, right? You're not, exactly. You're not going <laughs> to blow anybody's mind by saying Georgia number one. Right. Well, so I from, think that's a consensus at this point. Yeah, so I'm saying Cincinnati's in because they not only did they win impressively, over uh over smu they smoked smu and on the same weekend where you see a team like michigan state fall you see oregon fall and don't forget one of um one of the the feathers in 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 oregon's cap was ohio state that that win well oregon's out but also one of the things that people talked about with ohio state is yeah they lost but they lost to oregon and oregon's a top four team that's no longer the case i think all of that moves cincinnati up into the top four so they're they're, they're my number four yeah i completely agree with your statement there i do think cincinnati jumps in to consideration they find themselves controlling their own destiny at that four spot. And it's not just what they did this past weekend. It's been their entire body of work. This is a defense that I believe is going to challenge some of these power five teams, specifically in a college football playoff scenario. I'm just hoping that they get the chance that they've worked for. And again, this is not a one season reward right. for Cincinnati. This is last season's reward as well. So anyone who's was a starter on that team in 2020 and now into 2021, they, they've seen this coming. It's, it's the prize they've been working for. And I think they should be rewarded for that. Not for what they did last season. Don't get me wrong, but mm -hmm. I feel as though when you look at the college football playoff committee, it's something that is subconsciously being considered, which Matt at number three, I think is where we're going to start to have some disagreements and maybe even some controversies because we knew Oregon was sitting in that spot they're no longer holding down the number three spot. And in fact, I think we have a surprise visitor at number three in that it's Alabama this week. No, I, I'm Alabama did yeah. not put up the most impressive 
of wins. I thought they should have handled. Um, they played Arkansas, right? I thought yeah. they should have handled yeah. Arkansas. Um, and and Arkansas just hung tough with them for the in, entire game, basically. Yeah, let me let me just step back real fast because I agree with you on, on Alabama at number three. I, I just want to step back real fast to Cincinnati and tell you, um, I, I think not only was this a big weekend for that team uh, in terms of getting them in position to make a run here. Obviously, there's no room for error with this team. They they can't lose out. They, they've got to win their conference. They've got to be undefeated. But the door is open for them now. But it's not just the team. It's Desmond Ritter, the quarterback. I had to fill out um, the uh, my Maxwell Award ballot today. The first, it's a process. And so when you when you vote for the Maxwell Award, it's it's not just one like one ballot like the Heisman is. It's it's a process that sifts through uh, and narrows uh, the the all of the semifinals down to a group of finalists. And and I'll tell you this, Desmond Ritter was one of my finalists. I, I, I because of what's happening, not only was he my finalist, you vote one, two, and three. And I voted Desmond Ritter number one uh, as of right now because he he is probably the guy who means the most to one of the best teams in the country. And so all that said, uh, big weekend for Cincinnati. Yes, I agree with Alabama at number three, but I don't, I, I don't, yeah, it was a lethargic win over Arkansas, but I think that Ohio State's thrashing of Michigan State has more to do with Alabama moving to number three than Alabama kind of sleepwalking through a win over Arkansas. Ohio State, for what I just said about them earlier, losing to Oregon, they're, oh, this is going to really rub some people the wrong way, but Ohio State <laughs> is what Oklahoma fans wanted the Sooners to be. They're a team that struggled early with a young quarterback, but they have they began to click. They found what works, and and they are just trucking their way through the Big Ten now. And and I have no problems uh, putting them at number two or number, yeah, number two right now uh, mm-hmm. with Alabama being at number three, and like you said, Georgia uh, number one clearly still. Yeah, I I like Ohio State leapfrogging this year in the college this year this week in the college football playoff, largely because of the product on the field. And while I thought that game, granted, it was a 19 and a half point spread. And I thought that was far too much mm-hmm. for that game. Um, even even taking into consideration the fact that Mississippi, Mississippi, excuse me, Michigan State had the worst passing defense in the country. I still didn't think Ohio State was 19 and a half points better. Oh, than I'm with Michigan you. I was, they were one of my Friday locks. I, I locked right, Michigan right. State. So, yeah, I, I was with you. Same here. The ability to control the clock, the ability to run the ball, I thought would, would play a factor in this game. And when Michigan State got out of – excuse me, when Michigan State fell so far behind, it forced them out of their game plan. Needless to say, it produced that kind of win by Ohio State, and Ohio State is starting to play some really good football, and they would be the one team, they've got to get past Michigan, but they're the one team that I I wouldn't want to face in the college football playoff if it were being played today. Yeah, I I agree. Um, I, 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 it's funny, because I was in the stadium in Norman on Saturday when they announced you know Chris Plank goes to the board and announces that score I think it was 35 to nothing at the time that that Plank announced it and it was just kind of across the stadium you just kind of feel like whoa you know it's just like <laughs> holy cow and so yeah I think I think we're on the all on the same page there let's jump back into um let's jump back into Ohio Iowa State and Oklahoma two things I think really stand out if you if you want to separate if you want to separate yourself from 
from the win, okay, a, a 28 to 21 win, that's good. But let's let's step out of that, but still talk about this game. And and the reality is, this is an Oklahoma team whose defense is kind of they're getting healthy, they're finding their stride again. They completely dominated the line of scrimmage, but they've got a quarterback that is just struggling and struggling heavily. And and here's what I'm going to say about this, Rich, because I'd love to know your thoughts. Um, I'm going to give you a thought, and then I'm, I, I think I'm going to tell you why altogether. But if I don't, come back and say, okay, you didn't really explain yourself that well. But Caleb Williams, we, we talked about this, and, and it's, what made, it's what made him special when he came into that Texas game. Because the way they read the receivers, the way they go through their progressions, you had five games of Spencer Rattler progressing – front to back, meaning he looks at short, mid-range, long-range. And that's why Spencer Rattler had such a high completion percentage, but really the yards per completion were lower. And then they put Caleb Williams in, in the Cotton Bowl, and what does he do? He just launches it to Marvin Mims, and it starts that comeback because Caleb Williams is going opposite direction of Spencer Rattler in terms of ways he's progressing. He's going back to front. So he's looking deep mid range. And then finally there's the check down. The problem is he's really wanting that deep ball so much so that he's waiting and waiting and waiting. And, and I've seen people say uh, social media, I've seen, well, the receivers can't get open. Lincoln Riley's not using the H backs and the tight ends. Why don't they incorporate something underneath? Listen, guys, none of that is true. There are open receivers. The H backs and the tight ends are being utilized. And, and let's just talk about just out there. How many, how many drops did Austin Stogner have? Okay. So they're, they're incorporated into the offense. This is not on Lincoln Riley outside of the, 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 from removed from the aspect that Lincoln Riley is the guy who put Caleb on the Caleb Williams on the field. That's the only thing Lincoln Riley has to do with this right now. The way Caleb Williams is progressing or going through his progressions. There are options there that Caleb Williams is not seeing because he's waiting too long for the deep ball. Now here's my thought on this. I don't believe you can go back to Spencer Rattler. You know, you, it's that same analogy. You've already squeezed the toothpaste out of the tube. You can't put it back in. But the advantage to Caleb Williams is what he does with his legs. The advantage that Caleb Williams gives you is the ability to, to get into the second level of a defense and outrun everybody there, even, including defensive backs. Look at that touchdown. The first touchdown against Iowa State as a great example of that. Why he, and I say he being Caleb Williams, why he is not taking more advantage of that, I don't know. That could be Lincoln Riley saying, you got to figure this out, stay in the pocket. That could be Caleb Williams making his own decision. I've got to figure this out and stay in the pocket. But that should be, I mean, pass protection was really good from this offensive line on Saturday. And, and let's not forget that this is one of the best defensive fronts as far as getting after the quarterback that the Big 12 has to offer, that Will McDonald dude is what the top sack leader in the Big 12. But Caleb Williams has to have an internal clock that says one, two, three. And at three, you look at a check down, and if it's not there, you're gone. You're gone. You're up the field. If he can't do that in Stillwater on Saturday, it greatly diminishes Oklahoma's opportunity to win Bedlam. 
I would agree with that. And I'm not going to preview the Oklahoma State game at this point in time. But I, I do want to address a couple of things because I think you've hit the nail on the head here. When you're watching that game, Matt, and I know that it's being pointed out on the broadcast, you're there live. So you don't get some of the replays that we see from home. And it's a lack of anticipation is really what it comes down to. I do want to say this. Iowa State, I think you have to give them a hat tip for putting together a very unorthodox defense and making it work, still finding ways to get pressure on the quarterback with three defensive uh, linemen lined up for every single snap. They're playing a 3-3-5. Mike Rose, obviously a fantastic player from that linebacker position who has the ability to cause chaos, to cause quarterbacks um, to begin to pause and, and think about what they're doing. Jake Hummel is another one of those linebackers who has that same capability. In fact, we saw him just drop back into coverage, tip that pass, which resulted in the interception from Caleb Williams. But when you have a unique defense like that, one, I think Caleb Williams struggled to adapt to it because he's never seen it before. Two, he's a young player who's still growing. Mm -hmm. I expect those mistakes, and he did great at mitigating those. Sure, we're, we're not very pleased with the passing yardage, the 96 passing yards from this offense, but I would rather have 96 passing yards and one turnover versus 96 passing yards and three turnovers at this point because that changes the, the complete outcome of this game. But I, I, I have to come back to this because I felt as though the receivers were open. Um, they're moving across midfield. Mm -hmm. And what happens as they're moving, they're being released by the defender to another defender. Right. All of a sudden, there's a window there. And as a quarterback, you have to rely on that anticipation to connect on the connect with your receiver when that window opens before their movement closes it. Those throws were there on, on numerous levels, whether they were intermediate or whether they were short passes. Those throws were there. Caleb Williams just didn't make it. And when he finally decides to, it gets closed from underneath. The one time the linebacker drops in underneath and closes that window off, Caleb Williams throws, throws it right, right to him. So, yeah, I, I agree. The throws are there. Um, I have two two other thoughts about Caleb Williams. You want me to go ahead and share sure. those right here? Yeah, and um, while you're getting those ready, let me just say all, all of what I just said about Caleb Williams, I 100% stick stick to, but in that, the touchdown pass to, to Mario Williams was spectacular. To buy the extra time, to flush the pocket, and right. then get Mario Williams on the boundary, that was spectacular. And that shows the potential of what he could be. It shows too, the strengths. He's too mental right now. All right, go ahead. You got mm -hmm. a couple more thoughts here. Yeah, I'm, I'm just trying to, to guess here why Caleb Williams might be struggling and why we're not seeing that production from the passing game that we've seen against Texas Tech. I can only come up with two things outside of, of what we've already mentioned, which is the defense, some of the growing pains from Iowa State. But I also have to, to, to question, is it because Oklahoma was lining Caleb Williams up under center? No. You don't think that affected his ability to survey the field? No. I, I think that actually that benefits him in the run game because mm -hmm. the it's a schematic. So when 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 the quarterback's under center, 
as a linebacker, you, you really have to be careful if you decide to crash and you have to be careful about where your tight ends and your running backs are. So that's a, that's a, um, we talked about Lincoln Riley trying to find some ways to, to give that extra second or two, uh, or even a half a second, putting him under center does that because here's what happens. If you're the linebacker and you're trying to read the play, the quarterback takes the snap and then he turns his back to you and you have no idea where the ball is. So there's so many moving parts. That's why you have to play the <laughs> running back. You have to play the play action. You have to, I mean, so I understand that what you're saying, but that really should have been an advantage to everybody with Oklahoma, unless Iowa State, unless Iowa State can be right there whenever he does either the handoff or the fake handoff. If if they can't be right there in that moment, then it really should be an advantage to OU. Well, I'm looking at it and looking at the productivity. I'm looking at the completion percentage. Someone's broken this down. It isn't me, but I would be <laughs> curious to know what what the completion percentage was under center or the number of times Caleb Williams actually threw the ball mm -hmm. from under center versus out of the shotgun. This, the, this, I'm going to ask this in just the, the form of a question then, because you've brought this up. This is the, the only other thing that I can think of that could contribute to some of the offensive struggles at the quarterback position for the first five games. And for all of the off season, Oklahoma was preparing as if Spencer Rattler was the starter, right? Caleb Williams jumps in, in October. He's had a full month now as the starting quarterback at the university of Oklahoma. And what we know about Lincoln Riley is that he caters the offense to the talents of his quarterback, not the other way around. He doesn't mm -hmm. fit a quarterback into his system. Is it possibly the process of Lincoln Riley still trying to figure out what that looks like with Caleb Williams behind center or under center. And I think there is a, a little bit of an answer because we found that there was a lot of success for Oklahoma and Caleb Williams when Oklahoma ran the ball on right. first down. I think it's a little bit of everything for Lincoln Riley. Um, I, I think he has a good, I think he has a good um, idea of what he wants to do with Caleb Williams and what he can do with Caleb Williams. I think he's got to get Caleb Williams to buy into that. I think physically Caleb Williams has the tools and the attributes yeah, to, to buy into agree. it, but mentally, like you said, he's playing like a true freshman. And so um, that's, that's where Lincoln Riley is. Lincoln Riley has got a, I've not been happy with play calling, but I understand play calling Lincoln Riley has got to get his quarterback on par with where he needs him to be. And this is going to be a project. I mean, this is, we talk about Lincoln Riley developing quarterbacks. And again, I'm, this may rub people the wrong way, but when it comes to developing quarterbacks, yeah, he developed Baker. Yeah, he developed Kyler. Yeah, he helped Jalen along the way. But those guys were way more polished than where he started out with Spencer Rattler and where he started out with Caleb Williams. And at this point, I hate to say it, but it's truth. At this point, Spencer Rattler has to be a fail. When you, when you look at him developing Spencer Rattler, Spencer Rattler did not progress didn't progress uh, from, from there. He, uh, Spencer Rattler took a step back from year one to step to year two. And that's, well, we, again, you talk about Lincoln Riley developing quarterbacks. That's, that's a mark on, on your image there. I, I want to get, um, I want to get, before we go fully into the, the rest of the offense, I, I want to get your thoughts on the, uh, on the DJ Graham fumble 
and yeah, Iowa yeah. State. I was hoping we put this under defense, but okay, it's we'll all come good. back to it's... it. No, we'll come back to it. Uh, we'll, we'll we'll just come right back to that. So um, that that's not a problem. Um, when, when you when you look at when you look at this offense, there there are things that it did well. There are things that it it didn't do very good. And then there are things that it was just terrible at. <laughs> and you got to start with third down conversions. Sooners one of 10 on third <laughs> down. And again, keep in mind the level of defense that they're playing. I, I think, I, I don't think Iowa State is as good defensively as Baylor was, but I think Iowa State was tipped off to some things that Baylor kind of exposed that helped them along the way. But man, when we talk about play calling and execution, Third down was a struggle bus moment for Oklahoma throughout this game. I don't have an answer <laughs> for the struggles that Oklahoma had on third down. I'm sure if I did, I would be on the sideline instead of one of these other coaches. But Matt, I, I do want to say this is that yes, Oklahoma struggled on third down. I think that should be a concern moving forward, but I also think that Oklahoma struggled because they weren't running the ball mm. on first down. What we saw a lot of times was even in the moments of the struggle with Caleb Williams, he's throwing the ball on first down. He's throwing the ball on second down. All of a sudden it, it sets you up for an obvious passing down. Right. What is this Iowa State team built to do? It's built to take away that pass with five defensive backs on the field. So mm -hmm. you're playing into their strength at that point. It's a very light box. And when you've got a guy like a Kennedy Brooks, who has the ability to break tackles, to run through some of these arm tackles, I felt as though he should have been utilized more on first down than what Lincoln Riley opted to use him. And granted, in the fourth quarter, as we were getting down to the wire, that completely shifted. And what, what happens, we begin to see a lot of success. Oklahoma isn't finding themselves in many third, third down situations there in the fourth quarter. And it's just because there was that shift in game planning. There was that adaptation, the willingness to say, hey, this isn't working and instead change what they were doing on the field, change the play calling. And that's what we didn't see at Baylor. So I still have a little hope in that fact, but yes, it, it is a concern. Well, By here's way, what I'll say went well. Can I, can I say one yeah, thing absolutely. went well? Was, yeah. was Oklahoma in the red zone? Yeah, absolutely. And, and I, I agree with that. And I don't know that there's much more we can say to that other than they executed very well in the red zone, be it mm -hmm. uh, Eric Gray getting the touchdown or Caleb Williams finding Mario Williams. You know, red zone execution was good on, on Saturday. But if we're going to talk, talk for just another minute about things that aren't going well, at this point, you've got to be concerned for Gabe Burkett, right? <laughs> you do. Um, this is a true or false question. Oh, okay. Well, for we'll me. We're, so we're, no, no, no. We can preview it. It's not really that big of a deal. Um, Gabe Burkett with three misses in two weeks. Yeah. I, 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 don't, I, I don't know where you go from there because this was the kicker who was making those 50-plus yard field goals on a consistent basis, Matt, if you'll even remember, I think we were four weeks into the season and I said, Gabe Burkich needs to insure his leg. And if he hasn't, it's already too late for him because that was an NFL caliber place kicker. In mm. my opinion, now you're missing these short, what should be for a kicker at his level should be these give me's and he's yeah. missing them. I, I don't, I just don't know if he's in his head from the Baylor game. 
yeah, I, I, I don't, I, I'm concerned, man. I got lots of concerns there. <laughs> um, give me your, um, give me your memorable moment. Give me your, your play of the game with, with this offense. For me, it was the Caleb Williams to Mario Williams touchdown um, because like of everything I already said, that just kind of shows the potential of the two of these guys as a tandem. But wh- what do you got there? Yeah, for me, it's the 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 long run by Caleb Williams, um, okay. showing the speed to actually not allow a defender to catch him. How many times have we seen, whether it's a receiver, a quarterback, or a running back, who breaks off this long play only to get caught from behind? Caleb Williams has the speed, but Matt, it also goes into show what some of these um, – comparisons have been saying about him because that's the longest run touchdown run by a quarterback since Kyler Murray. Right. And that's one of the players athletically that he's being compared to. So I thought it was very, very fitting. Yeah. Well, give me, I, I agree. That, that, and that was, that, that was a spectacular play all, all around. And that, you know, you get, we'll talk about the controversial play for Iowa state and the opening drive, but you go from that to this long touchdown uh, run by Caleb Williams and it, it brought the stadium back to life and, and put mm-hmm. the momentum and everything back on Oklahoma side. Uh, give me your offensive player of the game here then for Oklahoma. Yeah. I, I thought this, this crowd stayed alive, but there's no, no player that meant more to Oklahoma in my opinion in this game than Kennedy Brooks. Yeah. No, he did not get a score, but you look at the 100-yard rushing game. You look at the 6.8 yards per attempt. I I think it speaks volumes of the talent that he has when the run blocking is there for him and when this offensive line is actually doing their job to move a body. Mm -hmm. No, I'm with you 100% with Kennedy Brooks. That's that's my guy as well. I said as much in my recap, and so uh, I'm going to agree with you there. We're going to move into true or false here in just a second. Rich is asking the questions uh, as Oklahoma beats Iowa State 28 to 21. This is a Sooner Nation podcast. All right. Well, you remember how this works. Five statements. One of us says it's true or false. And the reason why it is true or false. Rich saying the statements, asking the questions. I'm in the hot box. So here we go, Rich. Yeah, Matt, I, I do want to focus on this game, but I also want to look at the larger picture here in the Big 12. And one of the national narratives that has surrounded the Big 12 is that it is a league that caters to the offenses. It's a league that caters to these quarterbacks. It's a league that caters to the receivers, which Mm -hmm. attributes for many of the high scoring affairs that we've witnessed here in the Big 12. I don't want to say since the inception, but for a long, long time in this league. After this weekend, we're not just looking at Oklahoma and and Iowa State's game. We can look at Oklahoma State as well. Um, We can look at Kansas State. We can look at Baylor. True or false, the national narrative surrounding the Big 12 no longer needs to be the Big 12 doesn't play defense. No, it's true. We've been saying that for a while. I mean, you talk about the spread offense and how it's moved into the SEC and, and look at SEC scores week in and week out compared to Big 12 scores. Now, so that's true based on the spread offense. But what do you need for the spread offense to work effectively? And people forget the spread offense doesn't mean pass all the time. The spread offense, it, you know, teams run with the spread offense and they run mm-hmm. very effectively. Uh, the greatest offense Oklahoma had during the Bob Stoops era was the 2008 team, in my opinion. You had two 1,000-yard running backs on that 2008 team. So because mm-hmm. you're doing a spread offense doesn't mean that you're not running the ball, but the quarterback play, effective quarterback play, 
play of a spread offense really helps it go from point A to point B as far as how effective it is. And that's look at Lane Kiffin. Why is Lane Kiffin having such success at Ole Miss? Ole Miss isn't a juggernaut in the SEC, but Matt Corral is running that offense. He's got a good grasp of it. He's on the same page as Lane. That's why Lane Lane Kiffin will call a play and at the snap, you'll see him throw his clipboard because he knows it's a touchdown because he knows that Matt Corral is going to see exactly what he's seen. All that said, this is a running back heavy big 12. There are no star studded caliber quarterbacks right now in this conference. Caleb Williams has potential, but he's not there yet. No one knows what's happening with the quarterback position at Texas, right? Seth Dagey out at, um, excuse me, Jarrett Dagey out at uh, West Virginia, not a not a star guy. Brock Purdy, everyone thought he was going to be not a star guy. By the way, isn't it interesting that the last two games for Oklahoma against Iowa State have ended with Brock Purdy throwing an interception? Just not a star guy. There's not a star guy in this conference at the quarterback position, but. There are star running backs, B. John Robinson at Texas, Kennedy Brooks at Oklahoma, Abram Smith um, at, at Baylor. Baylor, got, Brees Hall, Iowa Brees State. Hall. I mean, Jalen Warren. At Oklahoma. So there's, there's star, there are NFL stars at the running back position in this conference right now. But when you're, when you're heavy on your running backs and you don't have a quarterback that kind of matches him in star power – then what does it do? It brings those scores down because the offense isn't as explosive. Why was that offense so explosive for Oklahoma in 2008? Well, because you had Sam Bradford, DeMarco Murray, and, and Chris Brown. Why was it so explosive in, in 2016? Because you had Baker Mayfield and Rodney Anderson. When you get that combo of the quarterback and the running back. Hey, don't forget D.D. Westbrook. Well, well I'm, yeah, fair point. I'm just saying when you get that running back quarterback combo, that changes things. And right now there just isn't a team in the big 12 who has that. So yeah, I do believe defense is better in the big 12, but I don't think defense was ever as bad in the big 12 as what the national narrative was because you had the star power of running back quarterback combos throughout this conference that you don't have right now, but you've got them in the sec. And that's why you see how elevated scores in the sec. Yeah, my, if I, I had a long time up, on that, sorry, you're fine. If I had to sum up the spread schematic, it would be to spread you so thin that an offense can attack your weakness. Um, and that's usually in a one-on-one -on -one setting. Defenses mm -hmm. obviously are finding ways to combat that and, and shifting players around and having these athletic lengthy guys or these tweener guys. And we're really seeing that in, in the NFL as well. Look at the average weight of a linebacker it, 10 years ago even. And look at the average weight of a linebacker today. It's almost a 20, 25 pound difference in the negative. Right. So we are seeing that shift. And of course, the level of play and athleticism at the quarterback position is only getting greater and greater. Number two for me, I, I kind of wanted to single in on a couple of players. And, and you hinted at this one. So I'm going to lead with, with this true or false question. Um, true or false, it's time to move on from Gabe Burkich as a place kicker. Uh, it's false. He's still the best. I mean, he's, he's in a funk right now. He's called it the curse of the burrito, uh, but uh, totally false. Uh, Gabe Burkich is still uh, the best option Oklahoma has uh, on, on the roster. <laughs> Man, you're pretty confident of that after saying you had serious concerns. I have concerns. I mean, it's all, it's like a, a place kicker uh, in a, a major league baseball pitcher 
they're the mental aspect of what they do is is really controls the physical aspect of what they do probably more than any other position in any other sport and he just got to get his head right and and I, I think i think it's not time to give up on him in that aspect okay i'm gonna flip sides of the ball then for you and okay. i, I want to take just a quick look at key lawrence because we knew coming to oklahoma he had experience in the secondary with tennessee he had experience at the safety position and correct me if i'm wrong here but i even believe he played safety at the high school in the prep ranks when he comes to oklahoma a need arises and Oklahoma moves him to cornerback. Right. And so true or false, despite his experience at the safety position, the future for Key Lawrence is as the cornerback. Man, I tell you what, um, I, I'm going to say true, but also um, from what he has said about the positions, he's literally willing to play anywhere he's needed. And he has the physical ability to play. The guy makes plays. Whether he's at safety, whether he's at nickel, whether he's at corner, he makes plays. And, and think about Saturday. You know, he's the one who knocks the ball loose um, on, mm -hmm. on Jalen Redmond's touchdown. Charlie Kolar beats this, this secondary, and, and Key Lawrence is able to punch the – now, Oklahoma didn't get the ball back, but Key Lawrence, knowing that he has a chance here, punches the ball out. Um, the Kansas game, that was a huge fumble he caused in the Kansas game. So – I, I do think immediately for Oklahoma, he answers a need. So that's why I'm going to say true because he is the best option alongside of Woody Washington at the cornerback position. And, you know, they tried DJ Graham and, and, you know, he just came in and took that spot away from him again on Saturday. So I think talent wise, he's got a grasp on it all. He talked after the game a little bit about the the mental aspect and 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 how difficult it is to transition, but he's doing a heck of a job. And so I I think for the foreseeable future, absolutely, he it's at the cornerback position with this team. It's hard not to like what a player like Key Lawrence does. It's hard not to like his attitude, as well. When you have a guy who practices hard, you know they're going to play hard, and you know in that you have a gym. Why not put him on the field? Why not give him the opportunity? I see your vantage point. I see the versatility that he brings. But ultimately, man, he's really thriving at that cornerback position. And I like him there for the foreseeable future. Now, we're not in charge here, Matt. There's no secret to anybody who we're listens not? to this podcast. But oh, at the man. end of the day, if we were the decision makers, if I had the final say, he would be a cornerback for me, unquestionably, yeah. a cornerback. Looking at, you mentioned Jalen Redmond, the scoop and score. You predicted it. So I, I've got to give you some props there. You said this would be the one, the game Oklahoma finally scored their defensive touchdown. And I heard this term. We're, we're very familiar with a pick six. Do you know where I'm going with this? The thick six. The thick six. Yes. True or false. That term's around a stake. Oh, absolutely. I mean, did, if you saw some of the players once they, they picked up on it, um, you know, the, you just go look at some of these defensive guys on their social media feeds after the, the, the thick T H I C K thick six, uh, began to, uh, surface on social media. These guys went after it. So yeah, I, I think, uh, and not just with Oklahoma, but I think anytime it used to be called a big man touchdown. Uh, but now I think that that's kind of where this thing is going to, is going to head to. And, and it's, it's a lot of fun and seeing these guys, uh, grab a hold of that and run with it. it it's a lot of fun as well. Yeah, last question that I've got for you then, Matt, is really just a quick glance 
ahead at, at Bedlam at potentially this big 12 championship game and what it means for the college football playoff picture, because there's a lot that can happen and will happen in these next two weeks that will shape the college football playoff picture. Mm-hmm. But when we look at it, true or false, the Cowboys are the better team for consideration in the college football playoff, but the Sooners are the cash cow of the big 12. These are the two reasons why neither team will make the college football playoff. I mean, that's what, what the premise of what you're saying is true. Um, when you, when you look at, at a completely well-rounded team, that's, that's Oklahoma state. Um, you know, the way they're, Man, I, I just this is the episode where I just really rub Sooner fans the wrong way. But Lincoln Riley needs to call Mike Gundy and say, hey, you've got a good running back. You've got a, a decent offensive line. You've got an athletic quarterback. How do you make all this work? Because that's what Mike Gundy's doing in Stillwater that Oklahoma's not doing in Norman. Defensively, I think you've got to give a little bit of an edge to Oklahoma State um, on, on that against Oklahoma. So the, the nuts and bolts of a football team, schematics, X's and O's, and the players, yeah, I think at this point, they're probably a little bit better suited for the run at the college football playoff. But that logo on the helmet means a lot financially. And, um, and I, I think all things, if all things were considered equal and, you, and the playoff committee had to pick between Oklahoma State and Oklahoma, I think hands down they're going to take Oklahoma. I just don't think either one of them is going to qualify. I mean, if, if Oklahoma State wins out and goes to the Big 12 championship and wins that, they're going to be number five probably in the final rankings. And I think the same thing for Oklahoma. I just don't think the Big 12, and I've been saying this all season long, unless more chaos ensues, Michigan beats Ohio State on Saturday, that, that could open the door. But unless chaos ensues, I don't see a one-loss Big 12 team getting in regardless of who's, what logos on the helmet. Yeah, really, the the major obstacle for me is Notre Dame at the moment um, because they do sit in the middle of the pack inside of that top 10. They're ahead of Oklahoma State, but they're below the other two teams you've mentioned, Ohio State and Michigan. I think Cincinnati wins out. There's one bid. It doesn't matter if Georgia loses to Alabama. They're in. If Alabama beats Georgia in the SEC championship, I think the SEC is taking two teams I agree. to the college football playoff this year, and then it'll just fill itself out with the Big Ten champion and the first power non-power five team, Cincinnati, to appear in that. Uh, there, there is a lot that has to happen and a lot that has to go in the favor of the Big Twelve, and it's no guarantee that Oklahoma, or excuse me, Alabama would even drop out with a loss. No, I think they would. I think if they lose, even if they lose by a last second field goal to Georgia, I think they're out. Um, two losses uh, this year, with the way the way the field is working, I think it puts Alabama out. I just, uh, I know that's kind of people are people are going to take the I'll believe that when I see it approach. And and granted, you know, well, it's uh, coming. So. Yeah, I mean, the, I mean, granted, I I don't blame you for taking that approach, but I do think if if Alabama does lose to Georgia they're definitely out on this week's uh, on, on this year's college football playoff, which would be an incredible upset in its own right. Okay. Let's talk uh, defense and uh, close this out with um, some thoughts around the big 12 Texas, not going bowling again. This is the center nation podcast. Defensively, Oklahoma just dominated the line of scrimmage and that's where you want to start. If you're looking for something that would really give you some, confidence i guess that's that's the that's where you want to go you want to start with the defense two interceptions a fumble recovery uh on 
on the uh, on the afternoon. It it was the fourth time this season, Rich, that Oklahoma totaled three takeaways in a game. They had Tulane, Western Carolina, Texas Tech, and now Iowa State. It's they and this is this is a good if you talk about good streaks. Here it is. Oklahoma's defense has registered at least one takeaway in 17 consecutive games and also 18 of the last 19 games. Um, and then for the second week in a row, we've seen them with the pressure in the backfield. It, now, still, Baylor got the best of Oklahoma, but 11 tackles for loss against Baylor. They followed up with 11 tackles for loss against Iowa State. But this time they were successful and bringing down the quarterback, a season-high seven sacks uh, for this, this defense. It, it all started – at front it all started in the trenches and to me rich that's that's what you want going into Stillwater with an offensive line that's still a little bit banged up and honestly still a little bit underperforming uh in in the areas of pass protection when we look at Oklahoma Matt and the defensive line this was the performance I expected last week against Baylor why do I say that because Oklahoma had the week off it was that opportunity to get healthy it was the opportunity to return players like a Jalen Redmond just didn't have as big of a factor in this game as they potentially could have but I have to agree after that loss it reawakened this giant that is the defensive line of the Oklahoma Sooners and we didn't hear a lot from from Isaiah Thomas I do think there's a focus that's being placed on him because he's been moved back to the outside. You have to consider him a pass rusher and you have to consider him a guy who's going to beat you. doesn't matter how good you are on the offensive line. And with a lot of that, that attention going in his direction, the benefactor was Jalen Redmond, who I thought had a phenomenal game, possibly the best game of his career to date. Well, I agree, but also you realize Isaiah Thomas led this team with sack and sacks. He had two of the seven uh, solo by himself, and I, I'm not taking away what you're saying about Jalen Redmond. I, they they did a great job across the board with Jalen Redmond, Isaiah Thomas, and Perrion Winfrey. Just kind of confusing Iowa State up front with what they're going to do with pressure. Perrion Winfrey really never brought pressure. Now he did get the one sack, and I believe that was the game changing hit on Brock Purdy, but. That was in pursuit, not in pressure. And when you look at what they did with Brian Asamoah, you look at what they did with Isaiah Thomas, what, what they did with um, uh, with uh, Jalen Redmond. Sorry, I, I just I blanked. Who are we talking about? Um, confusing this defensive, uh, this offensive front with how they're going to bring the pressure. And then you see him bringing Key Lawrence on a sack. Those type of things Really, really good game plan by Alex Grinch and ex yeah. excellent execution. If you're going to criticize this defense, it's it's going to come in the form of Charlie Kolar, particularly on that final drive where you're just like, okay, everyone in there's 85,000 people in this stadium and everybody knows he's looking for number 88. You know, and that that's right. if you're gonna if you're gonna find a way to criticize, that's where it is right there. Charlie Kolar, I believe, was a record-setting day. Uh, for him uh, in terms of Iowa State receiving. Um, I'll make sure I get the numbers here. 12 receptions, 152 yards, and the score. That I mean, just for him personally, that was, I think, a career best. I'm not 100% sure on that, but they were talking about it after the game. But here's the reason why. Here's the reason why you don't just give Charlie Kolar 100% of your attention. And it's because of Chase Allen. And when you look at at – at this stat line, you see Chase Allen has one catch for 12 yards. Yes, it was for a touchdown, but 
when the combination of Charlie Kolar and Chase Allen really begins to to kind of be equal in 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 production, then then you get into a lot of trouble as a defense. And that's why they never really went after the double team. And and if you think about it, that final play, the Brock Purdy interception, they do double team Kolar. Chase Allen's open. It's just a bad throw. Brock Purdy, yeah, Brock Purdy to, never looks away. Yeah, he it, never looks away from from Kolar on that one at all. And and it's he's going to chase Allen. It's a bad throw. It's high because of the pressure. Gets picked off by Pat Fields, but that's why because these these two guys, the the combination of Charlie Kolar and and Chase Allen, you really got to play over the top of them, uh, balance as opposed to Trish trying to double up one guy. But I think finally they just were like, all right, you know what? We're not letting Charlie Kolar beat us. And and again, it worked. I mean, it worked. The, the the pressure was there. The pass was off. Interception, game over. But if you're criticizing this defense, I think particularly that final drive is really where you're going to draw out the most criticism here. Yeah, it's man. It's funny that you mentioned you don't double down for those reasons on these tight ends. But we haven't even mentioned Xavier Hutchinson. If you're willing to come up and attempt to bracket these tight ends, one who's draped all over their back, one over the top, to stop them from continuing downfield, guess what Xavier Hutchinson's doing? He's streaking up the sideline uncovered. It's an extremely difficult team Mm. to defend, um, and it's largely because of the size. You know that they're going to play two tight ends. 6'6", Charlie Kolar, Allen, 6'7". How do you defend that when you're the size of Oklahoma, who's playing 5'10", 5'11", defensive right. backs out there? Well, again, I the, the plan worked. So so don't get me wrong with what I'm saying. It, did, it, did it give some anxious moments that they just kind of have to hunker <laughs> down there at the end? Yes, but it worked. And even what you're saying about Xavier Hutchinson, which you're not wrong on that, but his longest catch of the day was 15 yards. And this mm-hmm. is a guy who's consistently a guy that burns you and beats you, but he averaged less than seven yards of a reception, seven catches, 48 yards on, on the day. They kept Xavier. Here's if you, this is the best thing this defense did on Saturday. They tackled, they, they kept they, for the most part, they kept everything in front of them. And when the ball got into Xavier Hutchinson's hands, when the ball got into Charlie Kolar's hands, those guys went down. They, I mean, they, they were tackled. And, and that's exactly what you want out mm-hmm. of when you're fa- facing this type of offense. Um, I feel very confident about this defense going into next week. It's going to be a battle, but if they can control the line of scrimmage, if they can tackle first defender tackles, I mean, that, that, that first contact go down, I feel good about it. I, I feel that there's, there's hope here regardless of where the offense is at this stage. I, I, I again, I, I don't, I don't take away from this defense, uh, this performance, cr- heavy criticism of the defense. Like some people are, um, did it have its moments? Absolutely. But let's not forget they won this game. The deciding factor was a defensive touchdown. So I just, we, one of the things we talked about rich, right. In the, and the podcast, the preview to this game was that Oklahoma had to make Iowa state pay for turning the ball over. I, the Sooners got three takeaways and it only resulted in seven points. And those seven points, Jalen Ramsey was like, I'll just do this myself. Okay. <laughs> I'm a big man. I don't play offense, but I'll take it to the house. And I just, again, I, I, I grade this defensive performance out very high. There, I, I do have a second criticism 
of the defense, but it's not a warranted criticism. Let me preface it by saying that. And when we look at what I, what I want to address just one thing about Hutchinson, why I think his numbers were so low. It it all goes back to the defensive line. Look at the number of quarterback hurries, right? Iowa state had 87 offensive possessions in that game. And there's only a handful, 87 snaps, maybe because possession. Yeah. That's what I meant. Sorry. Okay. 87 snaps. It felt felt like a long game as it was, but. 87 snaps on the offensive side of the ball. And you you look at how many times was Brock Purdy comfortable standing in the pocket? There there weren't many. And so you have to attribute a lot of what was going on the back end for these receivers to what was happening up, happening uh, uh, in the backfield for Brock Purdy, Mm -hmm. because he is literally scrambling for his life. And while I think he's deceptively, deceptively athletic he's nowhere near the level of a Caleb Williams or even a Spencer Sanders in terms of athleticism and so I do have a reason for pause in the confidence of this because mobile quarterbacks completely change the dynamic of the defense and what this defensive line is doing but the one knock against the defense and again like I said this is not a warranted knock it's the fourth down performance yeah Iowa State it seemed like it didn't matter how many yards they had to gain on fourth down. They were going for it and they knew that they were going to get it. There were two stops from Oklahoma on fourth down that happened and, and none could have been bigger than Delarin Turner yell coming up, not only delivering the hit on third down, but coming back and doing it again on fourth down to Matt, if we're counting turnovers, that's four for me. Yeah, no, I I've always said that, uh, I've always said that if you get a stop on fourth down, that's a turnover. Iowa State five of seven on fourth down conversions uh, on Saturday, and I, yeah, you're you're right because, but I also look at third down conversion where this team was very good, four of mm-hmm. seventeen uh, against Iowa State on 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 third yeah. down. So yeah, absolutely. So yeah, they they went for it seven times on fourth down, but they got shut down thirteen times on third down. I don't think I don't think every team is going to be going for it on fourth down moving forward. And not every team has a, a big set like Iowa State that well, can capitalize on that. And you also look at the struggles that Oklahoma has offensively. I think you're gonna you're unless it's unless it's fourth and very manageable, like fourth and two, fourth and one, and you're in good you're in plus field field position. Yeah, you might go for it, but on the regular, you're gonna look at this OU offense that's been struggling, and you're gonna think man, let's just give it back to them and trust our defense. Right. So, all right, big play of the game. It's got to be Jalen Redmond, right? Man, I, I don't know. I, I, is it not the interception to end the game? I, the great play, but that that ball didn't have to be intercepted. It was going to be an incomplete pass. Mm-hmm. And, uh, again, that was one of the fourth downs that, uh, if I remember right, wasn't that fourth down? Um, but um, – I, I think the Jalen Redmond play was a game changer. I mean, you're, you're going in with some confidence and with momentum and so forth. It's, it's, it's the big man touchdown, the thick six. So there's two plays in my opinion that changed the course of this game. One of them for me is the play of the game with Jalen Redmond. Um, the other I'll, I'll go ahead and jump ahead. The other is the reason why Perrion Winfrey is my defensive player of the game because his hit on Brock Purdy, not only was it a legal hit, but it was a, a game changer from the standpoint that Brock Purdy pretty much, 
it took him until the midway of the fourth quarter to kind of come back to his senses uh, and, and find his focus after that hit. And that really, I mean, you look at Brock Purdy on that opening drive, you look at Brock Purdy after that hit until about the midway to the fourth quarter, he doesn't get his rhythm back for, for almost two full quarters of football. Um, and so for that, it's the only sack that, that um, Perry and Winfrey had in the game. But to me, that's he's the player of the game because of that right there. I'm I'm not going to agree with you here. And I think that we talked about extensively here uh-huh. about how impactful the defensive line was in this game. But I'm going to go to the back end and say that it was DeLaren Turner Yell, okay. who was the defensive player of the game for me. And when we look at what he was doing, when we look at what he was being asked to do, the recognition to actually deliver on those things is what stood out for me. I've already mentioned that fourth down stop where not only did he deliver the blow on third down to keep Iowa State from getting to that first down marker, he came back and did it again a second time. Uh, that's extremely difficult to do from the safety position, even if you are playing downhill. But the fact that he was able right. to do that, we're talking about game-changing moments. I felt like that was one that kept Oklahoma in the driver's seat with the momentum in this game down the stretch. Well, and that play also sent Brock Purdy to the locker room. And and I look, Matt Campbell, Matt Campbell made it clear to everybody that he doesn't like his quarterback to be hit, which makes me wonder why Matt Campbell's running this quarterback. <laughs> you know, why run the guy if you don't want him to get hit? But Matt Campbell, man, he was I, I don't say this about coaches very often outside of Texas because I'd like to pick on Texas, but man, Matt Campbell was a baby on Saturday. And that dude with his meltdowns, he didn't like the parent Winfrey hit. He didn't like the DTL hit. I mean, I'm like, dude, get over it. Just get over it. You know, um, I lost, I lost some respect for Matt Campbell on Saturday. And I know Matt Campbell and the Iowa state clad, uh, they don't care, but I'm just telling you, he, he, he went down a few notches on, on Saturday in, in my opinion. Um, so that's, um, I guess that's it for kind of running down the, the defense. Oh, no, we got to talk about the play. Um, I, I knew we were forgetting something. DJ Graham with the strip. I was in, again, I'm in the stadium. I see the crowd's reaction. I hate to be this guy, Rich, but they got it right. You can go to on Twitter, at Sports Heartland, at sign Sports Heartland on Twitter, and you can read my interactions about the big 12 and about big 12 officiating. And I'm a guy, if I'm going to criticize you, I'm going to criticize you openly. And most of my criticism, I either tag the big 12 commissioner or the big 12 office in because, Hey, if I'm going to say it, I want them to know I'm saying it. That said, I feel like the officiating crew got it right. And, and it, I don't like that. And I know a lot of people don't like it, but just cause we don't like it doesn't mean it's, it's not the, the right call. Mm. here's the the big controversy for me if i could even say that word properly isn't what transpired after the fact because when you on the field call that an incompletion i thought there had to be undeniable evidence that it was a complete pass that's where the controversy sets in because i don't know that that's i don't know that that was ever delivered in the replay no, it was. I, and, and look, you, you got to break it down. You got to break it down in, in, into steps. Okay. Number one, was it a complete pass? 
And the answer is yes. He has control of the ball. His foot's on the ground. He's making a football move towards the is end zone. Is he, though? Yeah, he is. I feel like that was very, very, obje- not objective, subjective. You're shaking I, your head in disbelief I just, right I'm now. Because you don't want it to be a fumble. But, I mean, the, the, the truth, if you change the I uniform, would have rather it be a fumble. No, well, out of the I, back of the end zone. Exactly. <laughs> you don't you don't want it to be a fumble in the way that it was ruled is what I'm saying. But the truth is, if you swap the jerseys, you're you're not going to deny that that's a complete pass. That's the absolute truth. Uh, it was a complete pass. So then what do you do is, is it a fumble? Well, yeah, it's a fumble. And then the third thing is, what are the contributing factors around it? And there's DJ Graham clearly with the foot out of bounds, hand on the ball. I mean, it's the right call. And, and I said that, and, and people around me didn't agree with me. They didn't like what I said, but I was like, look, guys, the fact that DJ Graham is out of bounds, touching the football, that's going to be an issue. And everyone brought up Buki last year against Kansas. When he's gets, he gets the interception, the Kansas defender chases him down. Kansas defenders out of bounds, strips the ball from Buki, Kansas possession, and they didn't like that call, which was the wrong call. But you can't want you can't want the wrong call to be made right in one game and then the right call to be made right wrong in the next game just so you can make up for it. And that's where the, I think their big argument was on that. But the reality is you break it down, three-step process. Is it a completion? Yes. Is it a fumble? Yes. What are the factors around the fumble? There's DJ Graham out of bounds, dead ball right there. It, 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 turns out to be a non-factor because Oklahoma win, wins this game. I think if Oklahoma loses this game by a field goal or seven points, then this is a way, way bigger deal than it was. I've got more issues with the officials letting this thing, this game get it more chippy and more edgy and more out of control than anything else. There should have been more 15-yard personal foul, unsportsmanlike conduct penalties thrown in this game than what they were. Oh, come on, Matt. This is football. Well, listen, they, they, they completely let this get out of control. And I've got, a, I've got a bigger issue with that than I do with the way they handled, because I think safety really be, became a, a question mark here with a lot of cheap shots that were going on that weren't, and I don't know how camera angles on TV work because I haven't gone back to watch it yet, but there was a lot of things away from plays that were being done that were not, the, the, at one point, the official gets Pat Fields and Brock Purdy and puts them together and let them have a talk. And then he made him, he literally made him shake hands. And I'm like, dude, throw the flag. I don't <laughs> care if you throw it on Oklahoma. Throw a flag. Stop this before somebody gets hurt. That's where my issue came with the Big 12 officiating on Saturday. I, I don't know that I was previewed to much of that going on on the TV side of things, largely because we're we're being controlled. Our attention is being directed to where the football is at. And if that's not the case, then it's on commercial. Right. That's what so I'm saying. you just have a different perspective than, yeah. than I do. Okay. Let's go through the big 12 rundown, Oklahoma 10 and one on the season with a 28 to 21 win over Iowa state. The Cyclones are going bowling six and five on the year with a one more game ahead of them. Uh, Baylor beats Kansas state 20 to 10, a game you and I called that to take place in this method. Uh, the bears nine and two on the season. They are still alive in the big 12 championship. They've got to win this coming Saturday and then they need Oklahoma to lose. So who are they playing on Saturday? They're playing, they're playing at home against Texas tech. If you saw the way Texas tech played against Oklahoma state, I don't think you feel like Baylor has much at, at much of, a chance of being upset in that one. Um, 
West Virginia, Rich, you and I were wrong about this one. West Virginia does, in fact, beat Texas at home. The Mountaineers are on the cusp of bowl eligibility at five and six. The Texas Longhorns are not going bowling four and seven on the season now. Um, first time since 2017, I believe, that the Longhorns are not going to qualify for a bowl game. Kansas pushes TCU to the brink, 31-28. Uh, Frogs win that one in Fort Worth. And again, TCU, five and six, they have the shot at bowl eligibility. And then Oklahoma State in the nightcap just had their way with Texas Tech, 23 to nothing. Red Raiders could get nothing going offensively against Oklahoma State's defense. And that sets up a big weekend of, of football this coming weekend. The, again, the games, the games you're going to have to keep an eye on Friday, uh, TCU, Iowa State, the, the Frogs need a win there to become bowl eligible. Kansas State at Texas, just because why not? Uh, let's see Texas go four and eight. Um, and then Baylor hosting Texas Tech on Saturday and then Bedlam Saturday night. Those are all games. Those, both of those games are going to have ramifications in terms of the Big 12 championship. Rich, what mm -hmm. stands out to you uh, in terms of the, this weekend in college in Big 12 football? This upcoming weekend or this past no, the, weekend? This past weekend. Is what man, what stands out? It's really Texas. Mm. Um, if we're talking about in conference, it's right. really Texas. The way that this season has gone, the amount of money that Texas has invested in Steve Sarkeesian, this was not the desired outcome. And I think it puts them in a bit of a pickle. Yeah. But what do you do? The fan base is not going to be happy. This may be that one year of grace. Granted, I feel like people are going to start drawing from what we've seen at Baylor, mm -hmm. where Baylor hires a new coach, has this very dismal season, and the next season turns it around. The problem for me is the Texas leadership. I don't think they have that instilled within them to take this team from two and six in conference, four and seven uh, overall right. to flip those numbers in, in year two. So yeah, I I'm shocked by that. I, I didn't think Texas had fallen quite that far. And in fact, I'm going to go ahead and spoil it for the second week in a row. Texas is going to be at the bottom of my power rankings. Well, look, if Texas loses at West Virginia, they're going to tie Kansas for the worst record in the big 12 and Kansas has, I mean, you don't really do tiebreakers at the bottom, but if you did, Kansas has the tie, they have the tiebreaker. And so if they lose this Saturday, which I believe that they will, you mean uh, I think at home State. against Kansas State? Yeah, yeah. I think they just yeah. lost to West Virginia. Yeah, my bad. But the point is, if they lose this coming weekend, the day after Thanksgiving, they will be le legitimately not just on our power rankings, but they will be the worst team in the Big Twelve, um, according to the Big Twelve rankings. And there's just, I mean, mm -hmm. that that is what it is. Hey, that's going to wrap it up for us at Sooner Nation Podcast. Bedlam is upon us. Uh, we'll have some special stuff coming up this week on the website heartland-sports.com. Rich and I will have a Bedlam uh, podcast coming up later on in the week. We hope you have a fantastic Thanksgiving. Enjoy the time with your family. Boomer Sooner, everybody.